And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to The Real Investment Show. Get ready for the weekend to come up on. Of course, a holiday shortened trading week this week. Um, yesterday's uh, disappointment, uh, we had rallied above the 200-day moving average. Things were looking very bullish. And then uh, yesterday, we got some news from the Fed whisperer, Nick Timbros, uh, who had, had, what? What? So. I just like the name you've given him, oh, okay. the Fed whisperer. He's the Fed whisperer, right. It makes so, me want to whinny. I know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, so we have the Fed whisperer, Nick Timbros, yesterday saying that uh, Bullard, uh, James Bullard, who was a former uh, Fed member, talking about needing to raise rates more and still going after this, you know, higher interest rate policy to tackle inflation, even though, and we'll talk about that this morning, even though inflation, if you look at inflation over the last three months, we are back towards the 2% trend level for the Fed. So is the Fed over hiking here? Well, so this morning, of course, we'll bring in our favorite Fed analyst, the Fed brown noser, Michael <laughs> Leibowitz, um, to talk to talk all about the Fed because he loves the Fed. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So if there's anything Fed related, he's all over it. He is uh, fed up. <laughs> he's fed something. Anyway. <laughs> we will talk more about that this morning. Also, we'll get into this morning talking a little bit about um, what stocks will do better in the environment that we're going into this year. So if the Fed achieves their goal and we do get less inflation or we get what we call disinflation, right? So inflation falling back towards the 2% target rate. So if we get to a disinflationary environment or potentially a deflationary environment, that'll be the Fed's worst outcome with a recession. What stocks tend to perform well? Will it be last year's winners or will it be something else? We'll get into that this morning as well. But uh, again, on a technical basis yesterday, look, still on a buy signal. That sell-off yesterday did weaken that signal somewhat. So we do want to be cautious here. Markets came down, testing the 50-day moving average. Now, there's some, still some very strong support here between the 50-day, the 20-day, the 100-day moving averages. Lots of support, all kind of clustered in here between 3,900 and about 3,980 on the S&P 500. So um, we got about 80 points here where the market can kind of drift around a bit. Um, did get, get overbought real short term. So again, the, the, the sell-off yesterday, not totally surprising. We've had a big little run-up here ever since the beginning of the year. So a little bit of a pullback here, not surprising. Need to see the market kind of hold up here. Futures are pointing lower this morning, though. We'll see what happens coming out of the gate. Do we kind of get just a knee-jerk reaction sell-off following through yesterday and a rebound? Or do we get further uh, declination in the markets today? We'll be watching close to that. Procter & Gamble out reporting earnings this morning. Um, talking about inflation, um, you know, impacting their numbers. Stocks are going to trade down this morning about a point and a half, um, about one and a half percent this morning. But, you know, talking about inflation, talking about consumers, this is, you know, the thing that we've been talking about for a while is that this inflation issue um, is weighing on consumers. Yesterday had retail sales out, of course, very disappointing on the retail sales front, down 1.1 percent. 
uh, much different than a lot of the headline data we were getting out of December talking about how strong you know, consumer spending was during the holiday season. Everybody running out buying stuff on credit cards, they were. But even with that, <clears throat> retail sales were down 1.1%. Of course, that's kind of dragging down outlooks for the economy for the rest of this year. But if the consumer is slowing down, so let's put all this into perspective, right? The economy is 70% consumption, right? Retail sales make up 40% of that 70%. So a big chunk of the economy is what you and I are buying at Amazon and Walmart and all these other places, Target, et cetera. Um, retail sales, very part, very important part of the economic equation. If that is slowing down, then you're going to have slower economic growth, which is, by the way, that's what the Fed wants, right? Um, but also, that's going to impact what, right? Where do earnings come from? Where do corporate sales come from? That comes from retail sales and consumer spending, 70% of the economy. So if retail sales are falling, if spending is slowing down, as it looks like, according to some of this data that we're looking at, then earnings are going to have to slow as well. And earnings right now, <coughs> excuse me, earnings right now are still trading at a very large deviation, more than 20% above their long-term growth trend. So despite the fact that we're having the slowdown, earnings have not adjusted down enough to compensate for either a much slower economic uh, environment or a recession. So if we have a recessionary environment later this year, now, I want to talk about that real quick, but if we do have a recession later this year, that's going to have a very big impact on earnings. And we start talking about what, what we call an earnings recession. That's negative earnings growth and uh, earnings kind of come back down towards the long term trends. We'll talk about that. Um, interesting note, though, and Mike and I will, I'll dig into this a little bit more this morning. So when the Fed hikes rates and we've talked about this before, about this lag effect that occurs from Fed rate hikes, well, another way to look at this is the yield curve inversions. And if we take a look at yield curves, they've now been inverted for a fairly decent amount of time, right? The 10-year, the two-year uh, yield curve is one of its deepest inversions on record since 1980. Now, when the, in, when the yield curve is inverted for three months, then you have about 17 months on average until the recession actually gets registered in the economy. So if you take a look at that kind of average statistic, that suggests that we have about nine months left before we actually get into the recession in the economy. So again, uh, a recession mid to later this year will not be surprising, particularly as we see you know, the, the impact of the inverted yield curves, the inflation numbers, all these of the Fed rate hikes, all this stuff starting to weigh on the consumer. It just takes time for higher interest rates to impact the consumer, right? They stop making purchases, they start to slow down, they run out of their debt uh, that they can acquire and, and interest payments are going up, so it's eating up more of the discretionary income. It just takes time for these effects of higher interest rates to work their way through the economy, but that's happening. But you know, a lot of people are going, well, it didn't happen yet, so it's not gonna happen. That's not the case. Uh, yield curve inversions are getting deeper, not shallower. So again, after yesterday's move, we're seeing a much deeper inversion. And for instance, like the 10-year three-month is getting much more inverted right now. Um, so again, pay attention to this because there is a risk later this year that we're going to have a much slower economic environment than people expect. And with the Fed now, and, and, and again, we'll talk about this this morning with Michael Leibowitz, but you know, one of the issues is, is that if 
the trend of inflation is lower and if we have a three-month trend in inflation closer to the Fed's target rate of 2%, the Fed should stop hiking rates now because they have already achieved their goal. If they keep hiking rates and the more that they hike rates, and very likely, by the way, they've already hiked too far, they're going to cause a bigger problem economically, right? So we talk about a Fed policy mistake, and then, you know, the Fed breaking something. Um, that is the risk that we're running by the Fed continuing to hike rates here. And again, uh, yesterday, James Bullard, Loretta Meister, others all talking about we need to hike rates more, get above 5%. But the two-year Treasury rate, that is a very good proxy for Fed funds over time and leaves Fed fund rates, has already started to decline and is well below 5%. And that's basically suggesting that the Fed shouldn't be hiking over 5 but the Fed's committed to doing it. So, but again, we'll talk about that more this morning. Be sure and get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel where you're watching it now. If you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. But also make sure and jump over to our, our Before the Bell channel. Subscribe there as well. That's our new three minutes on market um, channel that we're now running our Before the Bell. We're getting a lot of people saying, where's three minutes? It's now called Before the Bell. It has its own YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe there as well for Before the Bell. So you get your three minute update before the market every day. Um, all right, we right back after the break. Realinvestmentadvice.com is the website. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Housekeeping. Getting your financial house in order for the new year need not be a tedious task. Our next Candid Coffee will get you ready for the fiscal roller coaster 2023 promises to be with financial tips and talk. Saturday, January 28th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Financial Housekeeping Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. We're having some technical difficulties here in the studio. Just one second. Then we'll catch up. Only juggling about three mice over here, and <laughs> they all disappeared. <laughs> the, the mice always tend to scatter yeah. when you turn the lights on. Yeah. So. <laughs> what, uh, what do they used to call them? Mises? Mises, yes. yes. One mice, many Mises. Um, so a couple of things this morning. Uh, Treasury, of course, uh, now starting to figure out ways to pay for spending using what they call extraordinary measures as we have now hit the debt ceiling limit. And this will be the great debate over the next few days as congressmen and senators you know, try to figure out some way to leverage the debt ceiling into um, you know, gaining some political ground one way or the other. But again, uh, you know, this isn't the end of the world situation, right? Everybody's like, oh my gosh, if we don't raise the debt ceiling, we're all going to die. It's some flaming, horrible death. Okay, let's, you know, again, just a, a quick thing about the debt ceiling. We have, we have been raising the debt ceiling consistently since 1980. And yes, it's always a conundrum about, uh, you know, raising the debt ceiling, et cetera. And, but, you know, what's thrown out there, you know, in the headlines is, well, if the if the Republicans don't raise the debt ceiling or if the Democrats, and this was the same way back during the Obama administration, if the Democrats don't do this, if the Republicans don't do this, you know, we're all going to die. We're going to have to shut down the government. It's going to be terrible. It's only terrible for the government, by the way. <laughs> um, 
you know, we lay off 950,000 non-essential workers. And, you know, basically, if you're not essential, probably shouldn't be working anyway and paying you. Um, but, you know, we have to shut down terrible things like, you know, national parks. People can't go camp at national parks. Um, you'll hear a lot of headlines, though, is like, well, we're not going to pay our bills and we can't pay our debt. Yes, we can pay our debt. We can print currency and we do that on a regular basis to, to pay our debt. So the interest will be paid. Mandatory spending, regardless of government shutdown, continues. And that is Social Security welfare. Yes, retirees will get their Social Security benefit checks. Yes, the interest on the debt will be paid. Yes, military uh, people will be paid. That's all part of mandatory spending. Non-discretionary spending, parks, etc., those type of things, that's what gets shut down. So, you know, don't fall for the trap that the world's going to end and the market's going to all fall apart here because, and, and, and that we're going to default on our debt because we're not. Um, but, you know, that's just, you know, part of the political rhetoric that goes on with this whole debt ceiling debacle issue. But today is the day that we're going to start that in earnest. The Treasury, uh, Janet Yellen, says she can pay bills through extraordinary measures. This is where they borrow money from the federal pension fund, et cetera, to pay for spending. And they can do that through June, July of this year, before they have to really get extraordinary after that. All that money has to be repaid, though, by the way. So as soon as they pass the debt ceiling, then that $1.7 trillion of funding that we just passed in December We'll all kick in, we'll raise a whole bunch of debt, we'll sell a bunch of bonds, and then we'll have to go pay all this stuff back. So that's just the way it's going to work. Yes, the debt ceiling will be raised. Yes, there will be some political wranglings. Yes, it has. that is just the way government functions now because we don't run a budget. But it will have nothing to do with the world defaulting and, you know, the dollar going to zero. So please keep it in perspective. Um, outside of that uh, today, other headlines this morning. Um, stock futures, like I said, are pointing a bit lower. And we'll get into this a moment uh, in just a second with Michael Leibowitz to discuss why, because it had all to do with Fed speak yesterday. Um, and of course, uh, crypto lender Genesis is now preparing to file for bankruptcy. So another you know, again, this continuing saga of what's happening in the cryptocurrency space is now really starting to feed through. Again, you're seeing we saw a lot of hype uh, over cryptocurrency in 2020, 2021, particularly um, as people were giving money to invest by the government. Right. So everybody got these stimulus checks. They all ran out and threw it into Bitcoin and doggy doji coin and every other kind of off off mainstream currency coin that you can find, of course, FTX. Uh, is the lead dog in that starting in 2020, really. Uh, FTX was founded in 2019, really became of relevance in 2020, 2021 with everything that went on with cryptocurrency. Of course, now we're seeing all, the, we're, we're, as Warren Buffett once says, now that the tide has gone out, we're now all seeing who is swimming naked. And unfortunately, for most of the cryptocurrency space, it's most everybody. So you know, there's not a lot in there. Um, but, you know, again, uh, whoever survives this, of course, Bitcoin will survive. You know, Ethereum will probably survive. Um, but whoever survives this will be, you know, potentially a, a stable company going forward. In other words, they will probably be who becomes the leaders of the industry as we come out of this period of liquidation, shall we say. Um, okay, with that, let's get over to Michael Leibowitz this morning. Um, yeah, again, yesterday, uh, the markets were trading kind of up early and, and you know, uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday, markets traded up, got above the 200-day moving average. 
Uh, things looking a lot more bullish. Um, yesterday, James Bullard, Loretta Master, uh, Meister, others all came out and said, more rate hikes. We need more rate hikes. We need to get above 5% on inflation numbers. And uh, com that combined with very weak retail numbers, very weak uh, manufacturing numbers as well yesterday. Economic data yesterday was actually bad. And this was a different change for the markets as we've seen recently because recently bad economic data was good because it meant that the Fed would stop hiking rates. And yesterday, bad economic data was bad economic data because the Fed said they're going to keep hiking rates anyway. So, you know, is the Fed going too far? That's the big question. Mike, good morning. Welcome to the show. How are you? Good, good morning. I thought you forgot about me. Yeah, well, this, you know. You tried. You, you just have the same thing to say every week. So I just, you know, Fed, thought Fed, I'd give people Fed, real Fed, news Fed, for a Fed. change. What's up? Fed, 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 Fed. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I, I mean, I think... the. What we keep hearing from the Fed is the same exact rhetoric. They're, and they, they're telling us they're doing what they said they would do. So, you know, they keep saying, well, we're going to raise rates. You know, we can they're they're debating on how much more to raise them. <clears throat> and whether they do 25 and stop after the February 1st meeting or do another 25 or a third 25. I, I think the bigger question and the bigger thing the market should be focused on is uh, you know, when do they stall and how long do they stall until they pivot? And by stall, I mean, how long do they just keep rates at that elevated level? And then when do they pivot? So, you know, we can look to the market, we can look to the Fed, or we can have our own opinion. The Fed's telling us they're going to get rates to somewhere between five, five and a quarter, keep them there for the year. And just about every Fed member has said they will stay there for the year. Um, and that's fine. That's the Fed's projection. You know, go back a year ago and the Fed thought Fed funds would be at one to one and a quarter. They ended up at four and a quarter, four and a half. But, you know, that's their best guess on the way they see things. The market thinks the Fed pivots somewhere mid, mid, uh, mid summer or so and drops rates by 40 or 50 basis points. Uh, you mentioned the two year note earlier that has fallen from roughly 475 to close to 4%. So the, the bond market is pricing in a pivot and a uh, a slow easing of conditions, right? It, if the, the two years fallen by 75 basis points, approximately, the Fed is price base or the, the market is basically pricing in three to four 25 basis point rate declines between now and two years from now. And that's, I think, what we what the market's calling the Goldilocks scenario, where the economy deteriorates, but it's not awful, where um, basically it's the soft landing the Fed talks about, the Fed so desperately wants. So we have those two predictions, and then we just have history. And history tells us that that when yields get this high, when yield curves get this inverted, that they, they uh, normalize violently. So, you know, if you go back to, uh, I think it was April, March, April of 2007, that was the last time yields were at current levels or where they were at their peak. And they went from basically 475 to one and a half, one and three quarters by the end of the year. So, you know, they dropped 3% or so in nine months, eight months. And I know that sounds very extreme. And if we told you the two-year note would be at 2% or 1.5% by the end of the year, you'd call us crazy. But you go back and look at history of notes and yields and yield curves, and that's what happens. 
So the question is who's right of those three scenarios? And as we digest the news and we, we watch these lag effects starting to hit, you know, it takes a while, but as they start to hit, I think we're going to see who's uh, swimming naked, as Lance says. <laughs> well, and again, this is going to be the big question. And, and the question, you know, right now is, and to your point, is that nothing's broken yet. So everybody's now assuming that just because, you know, this time is, is nothing is, we don't have a recession yet. And the fact that, you know, things are holding up well, that the impact of higher rates is different. You know, this time is different for a whole variety of reasons. And but right. you know, I think yesterday was kind of that first shot across the bow with some of the economic data falling a lot more than you know, than a even analysts expected. We're now you know officially in a manufacturing recession. It's only a function of time potentially until you know the rest of the world catches up. And but it's an interesting conundrum, right? Because in 2012, as a good example, we did have a manufacturing recession, but services services spending remained very strong. And and so the economy was able to avoid a recession because we're now primarily a, a services-driven economy versus manufacturing. Manufacturing makes up about 20% of the economy. Services make up about 80%. So as long as the services spending holds up, then you know potentially, yeah, we can have a what they call a soft landing type scenario in the economy. The economy slows down, but it doesn't go into a recession. Um, however, this time we're already starting to see that on the services side. Retail spending slowing down sharply. Um, the ISM services index is actually in contraction as of last month, uh, registering in at, at, at below 50. So, you know, we're starting to see some of those kind of early indications that that may be the case. Uh, we'll see how that comes out. But the question now becomes where to invest as we go forward this year. Um, investors are still banking on what worked last year to work this year. But if Mike is right, and that's always a big, big if, um, but if he's right, <laughs> then where would you put, you know, where's the best place to be looking at, you know, to invest money? Well, let's come back and talk about what investors are expecting and historically what has happened and particularly looking back at 1980 as maybe a proxy for where we are with an inflation decline. We'll talk about that. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Housekeeping. Getting your financial house in order for the new year need not be a tedious task. Our next Candid Coffee will get you ready for the fiscal roller coaster 2023 promises to be with financial tips and talk. Saturday, January 28th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The financial housekeeping Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Michael Leibowitz joining me this morning as well, talking a bit about uh, interest rates, Fed, yesterday's market sell-off as the Fed continues to say they're going to hike rates despite evidence that maybe they should stop. Um but the question now becomes where to invest for this. And it's interesting because a recent poll out from Scotiabank 
uh, they did a client survey and they said, so what's your, what's, what are your picks to invest in for 2023? Number one was materials. Number two was energy, followed by financials, industrials, um, which were the winners last year, right? So this is the classic behavioral case of what we call recency bias. What was working that should continue to work? Well, let's think about this for a moment and, and just talk about this, right? So what did we have last year? We had inflation. Economic growth was doing okay. You had a lot of inflation, though, and higher prices. Of course, commodity prices were going up. Those were all big inputs into those companies. Um, yield curves. Um, you had the Fed hiking interest rates. That was helping uh, net income margins for banks. So financials did well. Um, also, kind of more the defensive positioning of healthcare and staples also did well last year. Value stocks did very well last year because investors were hiding money in those areas. So that's what worked last year. So now investors thinking, okay, well, that's going to continue to work this year. But if Mike is right and the Fed continues to hike rates and we do have a recession, that is a very different environment. We are going to have a disinflationary environment versus an inflationary environment. And, you know, are, are retail investors right? Right? Are they, are, is the things that work last year going to work this year? Well, here's kind of some performance numbers for you just since the beginning of this year. The worst performers this year so far. Staples down 2.4%, healthcare down 2.2%, utilities down 1.4%, and energy is only up 1.2% versus the market, which is up 2.3% for the year so far. It was up four before yesterday. The winners this year, discretionary up 6.8%, that's Amazon. Communication, 6.7%, that's Netflix, which is up 100% from its lows in October. Uh, real estate up 5.5%. Basic materials is up 5.3%. So what we're seeing here is starting to see this kind of shift within the markets away from what was working, the big winners last year, into what was the big losers last year. So, and the question is, is that going to be, will that remain the case as we go further into this year? If we have a recession, if we have disinflation, if we have the Fed cutting rates, what sectors will likely perform better than others in that environment. And this all comes down to one thing, ultimately. It's going to come down to earnings. Who can grow earnings and who can't? Mike, your thoughts? So I think, first of all, let's talk about what we talked about a little while ago, that the market, both bond and stock market, seem to be pricing in this Goldilocks scenario. So when we kind of established that, now let's look at how the market is pricing it in. And like you said, the conservative stocks, the ones that did the best last year, not counting energy, are the ones lagging, healthcare, staples, utilities. And among the top uh, are, are, you know, like some of those that you mentioned, um, you know, like Netflix mm -hmm. has a big influence on the sector. But you look at materials and industrials and financials, and those are telling you that the economy will be fine this year. That doesn't mean it's going to be gangbusters, but it's not going to be a recession. They're very sick. They tend to be very cyclical stocks that move with the economy. They're not high future growth. They're not they're not kind of cash cows like the staples and utilities, but they tend to move. Their earnings tend to move with the economy. So right now, you know, it's three weeks into the year. It doesn't mean a whole lot. <laughs> exactly. The markets 
the market is reflecting that Goldilocks scenario onto the stock market. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if that if we are going to have Goldilocks, the way to invest for the year may be the way that what the market's done for the last few weeks, kind of get out of some of the more conservative uh, sectors and get into more of the cyclical sectors. Uh, Technology hasn't done that well so far. But and this is very important. You have to look into the sectors to see what's really going on. And the problem with a couple sectors, technology is probably the biggest, is that three or four stocks are half the index. Now, just just Apple, having said that, Microsoft. though, but yeah, but just having said that, technology is up four percent for the year versus two point three for the market. So right, I mean, it is fair. doing better than the market. It is, but but there's a lot of stocks underneath. So so we may say this is going to be like last year. And let's let's just bunker hunker down in in staples and conservatives, uh, conservative stocks and utilities, those type of things. But we it's incumbent upon us to look into each sector because there may be companies like Comcast has done very well recently. There may be companies in a quote unquote bad sector that have uh, higher dividends that have very good valuations. So one of the things we've been spending a lot of time with is what are those companies that offer both value and decent dividends? So if we're right, if it's not Goldilocks, they can help cushion us. Now, that being said, we're not just going to jump into all those companies right now and hunker down for the year and just hope that we're right. The key is kind of rotating in and out of these investment themes until we have a lot of confidence that the economy is not just going to have a soft landing, but potentially harder, that maybe the Fed's right and Fed funds stay at five and everything's just peachy keen. Mm-hmm. And it is those materials and industrials. So so watching what the market does, watching what some of the sectors do, watching what some of the individual stocks do, what's the what's the stock market pricing and what's the bond market pricing and what do we think? And from there, you know, that's how we're going to be managing the portfolio this year. And I know, you know, we are focused right now on high higher dividend value type companies. In fact, in Simplevisor, we've been we run screen a screen every week called Five for Friday. Uh, tomorrow, part two is going to come out and part one and part two are both high value or good value dividend, high dividend type stocks. And that's where we're focused, but but we're not entirely set on it. But as our thesis plays out, you'll see us gravitating towards those sectors and away from some of the cyclical sectors. Again, if we're correct. Yeah, and, um, and, again, and again, you know, part of that plays, you know, part of that plays into also the Treasury side of the equation. You know, last year, you know, talking about recency bias, right? Nobody wanted to own bonds last year because, you know, bonds were the most hated asset on the planet. Um, and there's still a lot of people avoiding that, uh, avoiding those bonds. And yet, since the beginning of the year, we've had record inflows into bonds since the beginning of this year. And one thing we talked about last year is that if we do have a disinflationary environment, if we do have a recessionary environment, if we do have the Fed, you know, finally stopping hiking rates and realizing they potentially went so far, and, and particularly if they start cutting rates. That's really going to play well into a falling yield environment, rising bond price environment. And, you know, um, we had talked and so two things you mentioned and, and one was and, I'll, and, and uh, when we post this video for uh, replay for re- replay later on our website, I'll have Brent insert the link from yesterday's show 
on uh, in, in this video uh, because Danny and I went through two segments talking about ETFs, ver- you know, buying ETFs versus individual stocks and why individual stocks will likely outperform this year. And this this goes directly to the point Mike just made, which is. You know, the ETF is the sector, but a lot of these sectors are influenced by just one, two, three, four stocks that that have, you know, 30% of the market capitalization of the entire sector or the entire index. So, you know, that passive indexing flow doesn't necessarily reflect what's going on. And so inside these sectors and, and where the advantage may come this year versus just being in, you know, the, the market may go nowhere this year, just as an example. The S&P is flat for the year, but there will be individual stocks that may perform very well and others that will perform very, very poorly. And so the the trick this year very well could, very well could be, um, depending on what happens, again, recession, soft landing scenario, um, economic growth, you know, whatever, whatever turns out to be the case, uh, there's going to be individual companies that will well outperform just being in, a, in an overall sector where the market might not do much. But bonds are going to be potentially another place where money can be made this year because if, if Mike is right and, and I'm right, and we're talking about disinflation and a potential recession hard landing, bonds should do very, very well also as an asset class in the portfolio. Right, Mike? Oh, absolutely. And that's, you know, we, I didn't bring that up, but bonds are a huge thing. And the question I think all bond investors, stock bond investors face is what's the, how will stocks and bonds behave together? What's their correlation? And, you know, typically in bear markets, bonds do well. We didn't see that last year. Stocks and bonds both traded lower in price. But this year, recently, the, the correlation has become decently negative. So, so let's see. It could be a year where stocks are down 10%, bonds are up 10%, and a 50-50 portfolio is break-even. Um, it, bonds can be up 20 or 30%. Again, we, we said the two-year went from almost 5% to 1.5% in about a year. Even if you just have a two-year Treasury note, in that scenario, you would have made over 10% between a coupon and a price change. Mm-hmm. So you know, you have those kind of yield changes on a 10-year or 30-year security, and you can easily offset some stock uh, damage That's on right. the, you know, the other side of the ledger. Um, when we come back, I want to touch on one other issue here, you know, as, as we talk about this outlook for the year, and that, that really comes down to the dollar um, and which direction the dollar goes. Of course, yesterday, uh, you know, we also had Bank of Japan. They're running all and all kinds of problems with yield curve control not working, etc., but the, dollar, the direction of the dollar this year could have a, a fairly big impact on outlooks as well, what performs and what doesn't. We'll talk about that with Michael Leibowitz when we come back from the break. Don't go away. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. 
housekeeping. Getting your financial house in order for the new year need not be a tedious task. Our next Candid Coffee will get you ready for the fiscal roller coaster 2023 promises to be with financial tips and talk. Saturday, January 28th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The financial housekeeping Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. couple things here before we get back to Mike talking about the direction of the dollar. Uh, just a reminder, so if you're watching the show right now on our YouTube channel, be sure and subscribe to the show. We really appreciate it. But also, um, in our playlist, you'll see the Before the Bell. So when you click on that Before the Bell uh, video, be sure and subscribe to that channel. It's a separate channel now, so you get notified as we post our Before the Bell feature. You'll get a notification. A lot of people ask, you know, where'd the three minutes on markets and money go? It's now called Before the Bell. It has its own channel. We're setting up things so that you can subscribe to what you want to subscribe to. Don't subscribe to other things. This is why we have our daily commentary on our, if you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, you can subscribe to the daily commentary email list. Get our daily commentary with our market update every morning before the bell opens, our weekly newsletter, separate subscription. So subscribe to what you want. Don't subscribe to the other things you want. We'd appreciate it if you subscribe to everything because, you know, we want to keep you informed of, of what's going on. But that's all there. Um, Brent, can you look over there? And that it's just next to that pile of classified documents. But there's some notes for the show. Uh, that we want to have included as well. So just just push those classified documents out of the way. They'll sure. be fine. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, this box. Those, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, that box right there. Yeah. yeah. Next to your car. Yeah, exactly. So um, anyway, uh, <laughs> but let's talk about the direction of the dollar uh, this year so that as we uh, kind of go forward, the dollar has a lot of impact on asset classes and markets in general because it has a lot to do with where money flows are going to. Um, as money flows into the U.S., uh, that goes into bonds, that will strengthen the dollar because we have money flows coming in. So one of the things that has been, you know, kind of, you know, fixing, you know, helping, you know, certain asset classes this year, a weaker dollar helps commodity prices because when you trade asset, you know, trade commodities worldwide, it's all traded in dollars. So a weaker dollar is beneficial for commodity prices because, foreigners can buy commodities cheaper theoretically because of the currency exchange rate so the dollar has been weakening here as of late and that certainly had an impact on markets as well as uh, certain asset classes but the, so one of the things we really want to pay attention to in the coming year um, is the direction of the dollar and where the dollar goes to uh, of course in 2021 we had you know there was all the calls that the dollar were going to you know it's going to demise and go to zero and the dollar was going to lose its reserve currency status and all this and we're like no 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 actually the dollar is going to get a lot stronger and 2021 was a very strong year um 2022 was a reversal of that as the dollar weakened question is now is with the dollar extremely oversold uh deviated from long-term trends etc Where's the next leg of the dollar from here? Is it in the world is coming to an end dollar devaluation camp? Or is it potentially in a, a rise in the dollar, strengthening of the dollar, which is going to frustrate the end of the world group? So, Mike, hmm. your thoughts, where does the dollar go from here? 
So first of all, the end of the dollar as a currency is, it, it may sound good in theory, but it's almost impossible. And the reason I say that is not because we have massive deficits, massive trade deficits. There's all kinds of reasons to think that there should be a better currency supporting global trade, but it is far and away the best currency. And it's because the U.S. has very liquid markets, unlike any other uh, country. It's got the rule of law and quite honestly, it's got the biggest military. So, you know, you think about, OK, the dollar goes away. Well, there's what is going to replace it. It's mm -hmm. not the yen who makes America makes American fiscal and monetary <laughs> policies look awesome. And it's certainly not Europe who has a lot to be desired. And then once you get past those two, there's there's really nothing in line. Uh, well, North Bitcoin Korea. or cryptocurrency <laughs> isn't really proving to be a very great store of value. Right. And, and it's very volatile. Even right. if even if Bitcoin was trading at 80,000, it's it, volatility it precludes it. Um, so the dollar will I, be around. Don't, don't jump off that real quick. Stay, stay on that topic real quick about volatility, because I think that's a super important point particularly when you're talking about cryptocurrencies and you know there's a lot of people that there's like you know they have money in cryptocurrency because it's it's a function of it's it's you know it's it's the anti-fiat currency the you know despite the fact that it is the it is the actual epitome of fiat there's there's actually even no government guarantee of payment um, behind bitcoin or cryptocurrencies in general the volatility is the problem right it, it can't be a tradable currency because of the volatility. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're buying, you know, let's just think about the dollar in your, what if inflation was moving one, two, three, four, five percent a day? So, so you go to buy something for a dollar, you go look at something for a dollar yesterday and you go to the store today and it's 105. And then you go back and it's 98 cents the next day and it's 107 and then it's 95. And, and it's not because the price of the good is moving up or down. It's because the price of the currency is shifting so quickly and it prohibits companies. It's so hard for companies to plan to invest. It's so hard for individuals to know when to buy things, when not to. And be, and for so many other reasons, it, it's impossible to deal with volatility to that degree. Yesterday, the yen made some the, the Bank of Japan made some big moves. The yen fell by roughly 2% and rose by, by about 2% and did close to flat. Those are massive moves for an established currency. Mm -hmm. You know, when we talk about moves in stocks, double digit daily changes in stocks, especially around earnings or news events, are not that uncommon. You know, you look at the, the major stock indices, 2 to 3%. What was the market down yesterday? 2%. Mm -hmm. But we've had three, four, five percent moves. We've had bigger moves, 1987. But when you look at currencies, one percent moves are big moves. Right. And and the reason is is because, first of all, there is an incredible amount of liquidity and volume that goes through those currency markets. But in order to be a store of value, you have to know what its value will be worth tomorrow, right? Like the dollar or not, we know that a dollar is going to be worth about a dollar tomorrow. You know, even with the inflation we've been experiencing, the day to day inflation is still extremely, extremely minimal. And so so the dollar, for so many reasons, will be the world's reserve currency for many, many years to come. Now, that doesn't mean it's forever. Nothing lasts forever. But 
but if your investment thesis is predicated on a dollar going away in the next five years or even 10 years, that's that's probably going to be a big problem for you. Right. Well, and this and, so, this, and this goes into a lot of, of, you know, different situations as well. And again, there's, you know, a lot of kind of misplaced theses. You know, if, if you're investing, you know, the important thing here is to invest for what you know right now. And, right. you know, these these ideas that I'm going to I'm you know, I'm going to have all my money in gold and there's nothing wrong with owning gold. Right. But we have there's a lot of people I know that have 100 percent of their investable money in, in gold. And that's that's it's a, it's a commodity. Right. It's not a currency. You cannot take gold and go down to Starbucks and buy a cup of coffee with it. It sounds great in theory. But in reality, it's it's a commodity that pays no dividend and has no value other than the value assigned to it by the market. And one of the benefits that gold has enjoyed recently has been the decline in the dollar. Why? Because if I have a falling dollar on an international exchange basis, I can buy gold cheaper in other countries on a dollar exchange rate basis because gold is traded in what? It's traded in U.S. dollars. If the dollar rises this year, gold is going to underperform because of the of the rising cost of the exchange rate for foreign purchasers of gold. So, you know, that's that's the thesis you need to work on, not gold is going to replace my currency if the currency goes to zero because if we wind up into an environment where we're back to a barter exchange method of gold being the 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 method of barter, you got much bigger problems than owning gold. <laughs> So, you know, it's but, you know, from an investment thesis, it's great, um, you know, but just, you know, keep in mind about how a commodity works, how a stock works, how a bond works within your given portfolio based on what you know right now. Investing for something that may happen in 20, 30 or 50 years has tended not to work out well for investors. All right. And Lance, here here's the, the way to kind of think about it. If you go back through time what's the best predictor of gold prices? And the dollar is a predictor, but it's mm -hmm. certainly not the best predictor. The best predictor has actually been the combination of interest rates and inflation or real rates. So so I would argue that gold, at least over the last five, 10 years, you're better off having an opinion on inflation and interest rates to buy or sell gold versus what's going to happen with the dollar. And look, the dollar could sell off drastically. The dollar could go really down. But if that happens, it's a function of Federal Reserve policy, interest rates and inflation versus what the ECB and the Bank of Japan and to a lesser degree, Canada, China, other countries are doing. So again, the dollar could be much weaker this year. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean the dollar's going away. Right. The dollar could also be much, much stronger. If the Fed sticks to their, if Fed funds are 5% by the end of the year and the, we're in a recession, my guess is the dollar will be much, much stronger than it is today because the ECB will back off. You know, when, when America has some slight economic pain, it's going to be felt much more in Europe and in Japan. So, uh, you know, my prediction is that the dollar will probably strengthen a little bit later on this year because the Fed will have a little bit more resolve than the ECB and the Bank of Japan. Um, but again, 
you know, it's one of those things we have to wait and see. And what happens with inflation? When will these lag effects affect the economy? And how will they affect the economy? Maybe it's not going to be that bad. Maybe we'll have Goldilocks. (laughs) Well, we can always hope. Yeah, that that would be the the great thing. Uh, Be sure and get by the website, uh, realmustmadvice.com. Again, subscribe to our two YouTube channels. We certainly appreciate it. If you want Before the Bell, our daily commentary is out this morning as well already. It's on the website. If you subscribe to Daily Commentary, you'll get an email as well, Before the Bell. Uh, That comes out at 7.30 sharp central time every morning so you have it an hour before the market actually opens uh in the meantime um you know again these you know what we're talking about here is just keep into perspective you know what's going on tie that back to your portfolio look for changes they come and, and as mike said last week and this remains our theme for this year is audible we're going to have to be making changes on the fly as these things develop so what may not work this week may work great next week and we'll have to change accordingly but keep your eye on the ball. We'll keep you up to date right here on The Real Investment Show.